Uh, chapter 29, if you've been with us, 27, 28, 29, and then into 30 are all tied together. So if, if you've been with us and you've noticed, we've kind of skipped around a little bit as far as this timetable. We, we looked at David and his stumble. Then we flipped forward to Saul and his stumble. And while all that was going on, chapter 29 is going on at the same time. Um, so, so really we're going back and forth and back and forth on this thing. And 29 picks up right where 28, 1 and 2 and 27 ended us. David is with the Philistines. He's hanging out with the enemy. He's crossed enemy lines. He's, he's taken a lot of risky chances for who he's supposed to be. He's been there for a great length of time. And now the enemy is about to attack God's people. I don't know about you, but I've been in some pretty sticky situations before. I would say David right now is in a sticky situation. I mean, he is between a rock and a He's in a terrible predicament. And all we can think is when we look at this and ask, what in the world is he going to do? And just remind you how we ended with, with David on the 27 and 28 chapter, which would have been two weeks ago. You know, he said this line to the king. Then you will see for yourself what your servant can do. A really vague comment because we don't really know what David's going to do when he gets into battle. Is he going to fight for the Philistines against his own people? Or is he just using this as a big old plot to get into battle and then flip on the Philistines and take care of business? So there's a lot of a lot of iffy things going on and, and a statement said it could go either way. And and, and, and Saul at this time, if you if you remember, he went over to the Ewoks and the Witch Indoor. <laughs> Two of y'all promised me if I mentioned Ewoks with Indoor and you did nothing for me just now. These people knew more about Ewoks. Then you guys did. I'm so disappointed. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> ask yourself this, guys, and, and, and think and think and relate. Have you ever been rejected? Some of you have really been rejected. I can tell by the way you responded. Now take it deeper because nobody likes rejection, right? I don't care what you're rejected for. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, man, I hope to get rejected. Like, I'm really hoping when I ask the girl out, she's going to say no. I'm really hoping if I go out on the line and ask her to be my valentine, you know, she's going to say no. When I ask her to dinner, she's going to say no. When I ask her to the valentine, she's going to say no. I I really hope that when my kid looks at me and I say, hey, who's your favorite parent? They're going to say somebody else other than me. Nobody likes rejection. And that's where David's at. David is in rejection. And better yet, maybe we can relate even more. David's being rejected for his faith. Now, nobody likes rejection, but man, when you get rejected for being a believer, a follower and and trying to do right, man, that ups the emotional game a little bit here. Right. And and I want us to understand this because we need to put ourselves emotionally and and, and spiritually where David really is. He's in a rock in a hard place. He did make some bad decisions. We talked about it. God never intends for us to cross enemy lines, even if it does fit our agenda and our plan of safety. So, so there's where David's at. He's in a rock and a hard place spiritually. He's, you talk about praying for something for a long time. David's supposed to be the king by now. We've been talking about that for 20 chapters. For 20 chapters. You're thinking, how long can it take for God to put his own man into the throne that he's already promised it to? Maybe David himself has finally said, you know what? Enough of this waiting game. When is this thing really, is this thing ever really going to happen? And why he finally makes these bad decisions to get in the wrong area. Now this cliffhanger 
of where he's at, where he's with people, marching with people who are getting ready to go fight God's people. He's in the middle of a bad decision either way. And here's what happens. And here's probably one of the the easiest but first lessons we see in this section of these 11 verses is believers. You can expect to be rejected for your faith. And if you're not being rejected for your faith, maybe that should tell you something. Maybe you blended in a little too well. Okay, look look at what it says. Or I think the bulletin says it this way. Living out your faith brings conflict with the world. Now, I want you, if you got your bulletin, you got a pen, I want you to underline or highlight the word living. Because you can be and you can believe whatever you want to believe. And nobody cares. You, you can say within reason whatever you want to say and nobody cares. But when you start living out your faith, that's when conflict comes and that's when people begin to care. When you start actually putting action to your beliefs, when you start actually walking the way you're professing uh, to believe things, that's where it comes. So as believers, we're going to be pressured to conform to this world. There's no doubt about it. The very beginning of this chapter, 29, 1 and 2, the Philistines are marching forth to go to war against Israel. said, David and his men are marching right along. Do you feel the pressure of David right now? He's in a group of thousands leading himself and his 600 men to a battle he knows he's not supposed to be in either way. Like no matter what happens, he's not supposed to be in this battle regardless of what side he's on in this thing. Can you imagine the pressure of that walk? You know, thank God they didn't have cars. He had a lot of time to think about it while he was walking, right? You ever been there? You ever been surrounded by by a group of people that's going in a direction that you know you're not supposed to be going? And when you get to that destination, you're going to have to decide, what am I really going to do? Well, the longer you walk in the wrong direction, the harder it gets to decide right and wrong. Okay? The longer you walk in the wrong direction, the harder it is to decide the right answer when you get to there. Okay? So that's where David is. He's marching in this wrong direction, and he really feels the same pressure we as believers feel when we're surrounded by the people of the world. Scripture makes it very clear. Romans 12, 2, I would hope every believer in the room should know it. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. Now, now, when you look at that word conform, guys, we need to understand it. that word conform would, would translate into being squeezed. You're being squeezed into the world's mold. They're going to make you fit their mold to be in the pressure. Think about it, when you're squeezing something, pressure's on, right? So scripture's telling us pressure's going to be on to mold you the way the world wants you to be. But through the reading of the word, the studying of the word, the praying with groups, the, the surrounding yourself with like-minded people, the studying of scripture, the, the opening of your heart and your eyes and your mind and your brain for God to come on in, he will transform that mold into a whole other thing. And that is what's supposed to be going on. So, one, you should be feeling the pressure to conform. There's safety in numbers. There's no doubt about it. But you should also be bold enough your faith to know when you need to walk away and say no. To know when you need to say, you know what, this this is my line and, and I'm not crossing it, you know, and, and all that stuff. Because you can expect persecution when you don't conform. Look at what happens with David next, verses 3 through 5. David foot runs in, he finally gets up there with the other Philistine rulers. And you can imagine the scene now. You've got thousands of men ready for battle. 
You've got either, either two ways, it doesn't really list it exactly. So you either have the other Philistine military leaders and commanders, or possibly you've got the other leaders that we talked about way back in chapter 7, where it listed each of the Philistine commanders. So it's not really like one dictator. There, there was there was five of them. So, so either way, you've got all these guys suited. They're ready. The king, you know, he gets to make that final appearance coming on in. He's coming on in. The men are hyped. Here comes our last king. Here comes our last battalion of soldiers. Here comes the winning force. And then they see David. Imagine the, the mode change now. They see David in verses three through five. They instantly run up to this king and say, what is he doing here? What, why is he marching with you guys? And they even remember, this is how, this is sad because sometimes our enemies remember our victories before we do. Isn't that sad? Because look at what they say. They say flat out, I remember the song they sung about this guy. And they proceed to sing it. Saul slung his thousands and David slung his tens of thousands. Now you can picture these commanders and these men all really getting right up because who was the ten thousands of people that David had slain? Ten thousand Philistines. It's hard to keep your morale up when the guy who killed your brother and your friend and your cousins and your other cousins and your third cousins, they was right next to, you know, all that going on. It's hard to keep your morale up when you're looking at, at a guy who just did all that, right? And they're remembering that. And what do they say? We can't trust him. But look at what they're really saying. Look a little deeper here at, at this perse- persecution when people don't confirm. Because here's what he's saying. These commanders are looking at the king and they're looking at David. And they're saying that guy right there. He's got different loyalties than we got. And thank God the enemy sometimes can notice that we have different loyalties than they do. Okay? Christians, we should expect to be rejected and excluded from certain things. Worldwide, Christians face extreme persecution just because of their beliefs. If we would be bold enough, we may face some persecution also. I mean, just think about it. One of the very first basic things we believe or should believe as a church and be hardcore on is some of the things that the world is going to hate when we tell them what? Jesus is the only way to salvation. Jesus is the way back to a restored relationship with God. Jesus is the way into the kingdom with the Father. He's teaching all these lessons and building us up to get there. And when you say he's the only way, what are you then called? Bigoted? A, a, a hater, right? A singled out person. Isn't it a response we get when we try to do that? What, what if we were brave enough to take it a little, a little, a little steeper? What if we began to profess our, our beliefs on sex and marriage? The way you should raise children, the way you should spend your money. What if we get bold enough on all the things that we're supposed to be believing and actually live those things out? What would the world then say? Church, unfortunately, as weird as it sounds, there's actually laws getting put into place now to go against directly some of our beliefs in Scripture. I mean, there are people literally who will be at risk of losing businesses, money, reputation, and everything else because they stand for the Word of God rather than the law of the land. Because they're brave enough to take a serious stand on what they believe. Notice again, you can say all you want, you can believe all you want, but when you stand for what you believe is when conflict comes. Jesus told his own disciples, John chapter 15, if the world hates you, keep in mind they hated me first. Now, I've said it a hundred times. Jesus would have been the poorest army recruiter there was. 
How are you going to look at a potential soldier and tell them they're going to hate you? Want to join up? They hate me. Of course, they're going to hate you. I mean, what is that? Look at 19. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Because you're set apart and you're different. And if you're blending in, maybe that's the problem. Look back at verse 3. Verse 3, it says, well, 29 verse 3, not 28. 29 verse 3 says, then the Philistine commanders asked, who are, or what are these Hebrews doing here? Some people read this chapter, and I, and I don't know exactly where David was. We don't, we don't get to know. Right, because David, does, when you saw at the end, David doesn't make it to the battle. So we don't know what David's real plan is and what's really going on. So, so you can look at it two ways. Some people look at this as David has forgotten who he is and where he's supposed to be going. And that is one way to look at it, sure. But his enemy didn't. Or you could look at it and say, maybe this has been David's, David's plan all along. I don't know. But it's a bad thing when the world is the one that has to remind us of who we are. Ask yourself, who's reminding who? I think scripture tells me I'm supposed to be reminding those outside some things, not those outside reminding me of some things, right? When, when, when the Philistine leaders say, what are these Hebrews doing here? What are they saying? They worship another God. We don't belong together. We don't mix well. That's what he's saying. We don't mix well. Believers ought to know that. These Philistine leaders, maybe they saw what David was blind to. Maybe they saw just a warning of what David was about to do. They hadn't spent any time with David. Keep that in mind. We'll talk about that in just a minute, right? Only the king has actually spent some time with him. But but they knew there was something wrong. And David really would have never been in this predicament if he hadn't already made a sinful slip and forgot about where his destiny was and forgot for just that just that brief moment of that trust in God. But it is a terrible thing because I've seen it when the world outside has a higher sense of Christian separation and Christian fitness than those inside the church do. You know, it's one thing when the world looks at us and, and has to imagine, what, what is he doing here? Maybe some of y'all been hit with that question. Maybe some of y'all been somewhere you shouldn't have been. And somebody loses you say, hold on, what are you doing here? Right? Think about it. Maybe some of y'all right now is all high and mighty and y'all sitting in the church and y'all looking around and y'all thinking, hold on, what they doing here? Maybe it's the other way around. Right? It is sad. Think about this. Look at at the end of verse 3 what he says, though. No, no faults what he says. What are these Hebrews doing here? The king answered the Philistine commanders. That's that's David, servant of King Saul of Israel. He's been with me in a considerable amount of time. From the day he defected until the day, I found no fault with him. Now, he's not saying, and understand the wording, and he uses this wording two different different times. So I think scripture elaborates that, in my opinion. To make sure we understand. He's not necessarily saying he agrees with everything with David. He's not He's not saying, you know, we sat down and had a theological debate and I think everything the man says is sound. What he's saying is I found no fault with the man. I haven't found anything that the man has done wrong. And I got to ask when I read something like this, I got to ask the church as believers and myself, what kind of reputation do you and I have in the world? Because we get this little high and mighty attitude all the time and we try to put on our, our religious face and say, well, well, I don't care what the world thinks. You better care what the world thinks because the world is your mission field. You better care what the world thinks because outside these walls isn't the enemy. It's potential brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to quit looking at people like they're the enemy and realize they're potential brothers and sisters in Christ. They're potential people that I get to love on. 
that I get to grow with, that I get to spend eternity with, right? Now, now the world should look up to us, not us looking up to the world. But yet, how many of us buy these self-help books and read these self-help articles and go to self-help websites on how to get successful the world's way? Rather than us trying to tell them how to do it the Lord's way. Huh? Think about it. And we don't seek approval. Understand this, because some of you hear this and you think, well, I should be seeking approval. No, you don't seek approval of the world for your happiness and their happiness. You seek approval of the world and keep a good reputation for the representation that you have of Christ. Because your main purpose, your goal is to glorify your father and to make him smile and say, that's that's my son or that's my daughter. I'm really proud. Throw a thumbs up, throw a smile, throw a pound into the air, whatever, whatever it took that, that you know. Right. Instead, look at verse four. The Philistines gathered in the camp. Uh, uh, chapter 20. I'm determined to go back to chapter 28. Verse four, 29. The Philistine commanders, however, were enraged with uh, Ashish and told him. Send that man back and let him return to the place you assign it. He must not go down with us into battle, only to become an adversary during the battle. What better way could he uh, interrogate himself with the master and take the heads of our men? Verse four, man, I read it. And here's one of the first things I wrote down at the beginning of the week. Why are others dictating and deciding where you and I go? Why are others Dictating and deciding who we are. Why are others dictating and deciding what we do? How much of what we do, where we go and who we are, do we let be determined by the world outside rather than being determined by by Christ? And take it a step further, because some of us even let good people determine who we are, where we go and what we do. So so understand this. You got to be your own believer. You got to be your own child of God. Scripture says that. So that means your family, the world, and even the church shouldn't be the ones telling you where to go, who you are, and what to do. They're not saying you can't be influenced. and not saying being surrounded by, by like-minded people to support what God says is good. But that should not be the deciding factor, church. Because once that's the deciding factor, here's what happens. And you can ask yourself this. Who tells you when to pray? Who tells you when to pray? Are you waiting on Beth or somebody to say we're going to have a prayer meeting before you pray? We say ourselves, but how often then do we pray? How often do we call other people and say, man, let's get together and just pray together? How often? Or do we have to wait on a church to tell us to pray? Do we have to wait on a group to tell us to pray? Do you have to wait on your mom and daddy to tell you to pray? Your spouse to pray? Your children to tell you you should be praying? Huh? Who? Better yet, do this. Who tells you when to read your Bible? And don't tell me myself, because if so, then yourself sucks, because I know we don't read our Bible as much as we should. Right? You laugh, but let's just be honest. Huh? How many Bibles sit there all week and don't get moved uh, until that moment? If you got to come to church and look spiritual, so you throw the Bible up in, right? And if you forget it, don't worry, you got a telephone. I got my Bible right here, Pastor. Right? Yeah, I'm sure you use that app all the time, right? <laughs> Huh? Who tells you when to read your Bible? Or do you just read it whenever Marty or whoever else is reading that week gets up to read? Or do you just read it whenever you're on the Wednesday night group? Well, at least that's one more time of the week than most people, huh? Who tells you when to read your Bible? Who tells you? Is it really the Holy Spirit or are we letting other people? Now, not to say that can't be good motivation now. You know, I'm not, I don't see a problem 
with the church having to kick your butt and tell you to pray and read. But it's sad. It's sad if another person has to tell you how to better your relationship. What about when to worship? There's a good one. Y'all know y'all can worship without the band up here? You know you can worship before Sunday morning? Do we? Because we um humming a lot, but I don't know if we worshiping a lot. Right? Oh, don't get quiet now. Let's just, let's just be blunt and honest about it, guys. You know, you can worship in your car while you ride down the road. Huh? Think about it. Or, or do you just need other people to tell you when to worship? How weak of a Christian do you have to be for other people, whether good or bad, have to tell you when to pray, when to read your Bible, when to worship, when to witness, when to expand? Huh? Ain't nobody got to tell you when to eat, do they? Huh? Come on. Ain't nobody tell you when to go get dessert, do they? Now, you know when you donate Mexican and the sweet frogs is right beside it. You know you're going to the sweet frogs. Your belly done told you that. Your mind done told you that. Addiction to sugar done told you that. Right? Bubba Luke. Oh, Bubba Luke, don't get no sweet frogs today. Sorry. Huh? I mean, let's just be honest about it, guys. What, why is our passion for the things of the Lord not the same as our passions for survival of the world? Are we just fit to survive for the temporary and not the eternity then? Huh? So some of us is going to be upset when we get into the kingdom, I think. We're going to, or, or we're going to have a shock factor. I don't know if we'll be upset. I think it'll all be good stuff. But it's going to be a shock factor that takes place. Holy cow. Right? Verse 5. His own enemies don't forget his victories. Church faith may bring conflict. You may be pressured to conform to the world. And you should expect persecution. But but hear this on point number two. You've got to try to live at peace the best you can with everyone. Now, I didn't get this one, man. I, I, I swear to you. This one, this one took the heart. The, the ending, God's sovereignty, which I'm ready to get to right now, that, that, that was it. And, and, and that, that number one, what was understandable for sure. But, but when God gave me living at peace in a situation like this, I struggled a little bit, to be honest, in this section right here, okay? So, so, so look at these, look at these verses, six through seven first. Because when you take a stand for Christ, there's going to be persecution. There's no denying that. But here's the thing. And here's where I think some believers maybe need to, to understand a little bit more. You're never called in Scripture to bring unnecessary trouble upon yourself. Do we get that? I think sometimes we, we feel like we got to stir the pot and be the center of the unnecessary stuff so much that we put ourselves in situations we were never supposed to be in. That's one thing I'll give David at least. At least David did understand to let the Lord lead the way after he had gotten so far messed up in the situation. And he doesn't try to make himself worse. He, he, he just he just lets God do what God does. And here's what he does. Verses 6 through 7. Look at what it says. So there's two ways two ways you can live at peace with the world. One, you've got to maintain a clear testimony with them. Now, not, not a liking of your beliefs, but a clear testimony of who you are. Look back at 6 and 7. So the king summoned David and they told him, Man, as, as Yahweh lives, huh. I don't know about you, but that kind of struck me. I'll get back to that in a minute. You're an honorable man. I think it is good to have you fighting in this unit with me because I found no fault in you from the day you came to me until today. But the leaders don't think you're reliable. So I want you to go back quietly so that you won't be doing anything the leaders think is wrong. He's got the king of the Philistines standing up for him. And the only thing it mentions on why because I think we give David a little bit. I mean, David didn't mess up. I'm not taking away from that, okay? But we give David a little bit too much uh, of the excuses 
in this section, because what I see here is what this king is saying and repeated two to three times in this chapter is he's looking at David and he's saying, man, the whole time with me, you've had a good reputation. Like you've been respectful. You, you've been nice. You, 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 you've, you, I have no fault that I can find with you. You've been a good citizen during this time period. You've respected me as the king. And the king himself is who wants David to stay. Somebody who knows him. Somebody who's seen him live day to day for a lengthy period of time in his city. The ones that have a problem with him are the ones that hadn't seen him. The ones that hadn't watched him be a good, honorable, respectful person. It never says that, that David done you know, everything that, that the Philistines did. And I'm not to say he didn't either. I can't say one way or the other. But when I read what this king writes about David, I'm thinking, man, David behaved in such a way that the king of his enemy is trusting him, respects him. And I think the king's trust is a testimony of David's good testimony. There's nothing wrong with the world outside being able to look at you and say, man, I trust him. Whatever he says, that's what it is. We need some more of that. We need some more where the world can look outside and say, you know what? That is an integ- a man of integrity. And if he says that's what happened, that's what happened. But I don't I, see. I think somewhere along the way that the lines between the believer and the unbeliever have been so fogged up that I don't know if the world can trust believers as much as as they're supposed to be able to. Statistically, unfortunately, we're only within single digit percents of, of being any different than the rest of the world when you do a lot of these studies. I'm serious from divorce all the way down into your happiness. Now, now why we win by 1% on happiness, by the way, we got 69%, they got 68%. But let's be honest, why in the world would, would, would a world who gets to live the way they want to live want what we got if we're only 1% happier? Why would they want that? Why would they say, you know what, I'm going to get married the Lord's way and I'm going to do it the Lord's way if, if we're only winning by 2% on divorce rate? Yeah. What kind of reputation are we putting out there? And I'm not talking about seeking the approval of man, but but I'm talking about something that man can look to us as something to stand up for. Maybe man even seeking out what we may have. Maybe you could ask yourself this way. Are you living a life such a way that everyone, believers, unbelievers, and likewise, can concur that there's no fault in you? Or are they just looking at you just like any other person? Or maybe is it you trying to live in the middle? Some people look at that's what David was doing, man. He couldn't find peace out there. And he couldn't find peace now in here. I'm going to tell you, God's not looking for a bunch of chickens. He's not, man. He's not looking for people who are afraid to live out loud. He's not looking for people that, that cower when, when, when conflict comes. He's not looking for people that think they got to blend in with the world to make themselves happy. He's not looking for people to think anything other than what his word said. Scripture says we're supposed to be eagles, right? Eagles soar, man. Eagles ain't afraid to go to the next level. And, and when eagles fight, don't keep in mind or do keep in mind this, that they'll take their enemy to the next level with them. So we fight on my ground, not on their ground. Maybe that's some of our problem. We've been stuck wanting to fight the snakes on the ground when we've been called to fight them in the sky. And you ask yourself, well, why am I losing? Because you're fighting in the wrong territory. And scriptures told you that you're supposed to be an eagle soaring. Scripture also says this as believers, we talk about living a good life. First Peter chapter two, verse 12, maintaining a good testimony. Live, live such a good life among the pagans, unbelievers, that they accuse you of doing nothing wrong. 
that they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Wow, do you see what our testimony is supposed to be doing? What our reputation is supposed to be doing? It's not running out there and standing on street corners and telling people they die and go into hell. It's being good people, loving people, and for them to then come rushing in and saying, man, what is it you've got? And what do I do to get it? Why are you so happy all the time? Why are you able to, to withstand the storms when they come and still be standing when, when the storm goes away? Why? 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 Let them see your good deeds and want it. And let them glorify God on the day he visits. You catch what verse 6 said? I pointed it out, so I hope you did. This is a foreign ruler using God's real name. He's not using any Philistine gods. He's saying Yahweh. Right here in the middle of his own men. Now, there's a lot of a lot of thing there, too, again, on, oh, you're reading too much into it or you're thinking too much. I don't know. I don't know. But all I can think is that David was a man after God's own heart and David kept a good reputation. So maybe in those 16 months, David was with the enemy. Maybe, just maybe, he made such an influence on this king that this king then had to acknowledge that David's God was a real God. With a real name. What about you when you're in the enemy's territory? What about you when you're hanging out for 16 months or 16 years in the ways of the world instead of the ways of, the, of God? Does the world look at you and say, wow, Yahweh's real? Or do they look at you and say, ah, I don't even know what, what a uh, Philistine God would have been. Right, there's an example. But, but look at what he does. He doesn't refer to his own God. He doesn't refer to, to the many gods that are polytheistic. He calls out Yahweh's name in verse 6, guys. I can't help but wonder, it had to be an influence of David at some level. And, and I'm not saying the king was believing, because maybe what, but maybe at least he thought enough of David to respect David and David's God. That makes sense? Does the world think enough of you to respect you just because of who your God is? Just because they acknowledge the fact that something real is happening in your life. Now, sometimes it's kind of funny because I'll have people, you know, once they realize who I am and stuff and, and, and they'll begin to kind of change their language and the, and the way they talk. And I'm gonna be honest, I hung out with football players and it very worldly people my whole life. It, you can do whatever you want to do because it ain't me who's judging you. It's the Lord that's going to get you. And you cussing in front of him all the time and telling you stories and jokes in front of him all the time. Okay, so don't worry about me necessarily that way. But it is kind of neat to see that the Lord still mans that respect. Some of you have been with us when we go down to the to the state park. One of my favorite ones was a little bit over a year ago. We went down there and, you know, it's a it's a very large commotion. It's a public place. We've got no rights to say, hey, quiet down. We're about to have church. No, none of that. But when you go down there and you just start. And you watch daddies tell their kids, sit down. And you watch daddies slide their beers. <laughs> I'm telling you, I watch it, man. I love it. Again, that stuff don't bother me at all. I really don't care. I really don't. But I love knowing that despite whatever they're thinking in their head at the beginning, something clicks. And there begins to be some sort of connection on seeing how real something is that's taking place in the lives of people who are professing their faith out loud for other people to see. Okay? If we're not going to live out loud, guys, there's not going to be any influence we can make. We live out loud, we can make a lot of influence. Verse 7 says this. They're not going to accept you, David. I, I realize how good you've been. I realize how awesome you've been. But they're not going to accept you. And here's what I just want you to understand. With it. Just, just small verse 7 is this. The, the, their exact wording is, nevertheless, the Lord's do not favor you. R remember, why did David even go to the Philistines? 
Chapter 27, verse 1. I got to get rid of Saul and his enemies because I'm not happy there. Right? I'm worried there. I'm not safe there. So he flees his own people because he doesn't feel comfortable there. And he goes here. And what, what happens here? Oh, he's not accepted here either. Because believers understand me this. As David has no home right now, it's because he's trying to live in both worlds. And when you try to live in both worlds, you're not going to have a comfortable home either. Okay? Think about this now and elaborate on this. When, when you try to live on both sides of the fence, what happens? It don't work out real well. David's probably in the saddest part he could be in as any child of God. He's got too much of the world in him to be at peace with the Lord, and he's got too much of the Lord in him to be at peace with the world. I thought for sure I'd mess those two up, but I did. Right? But, 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 but think about it. You can't be happy when you're trying to live both ways. It's one of our greatest fears, I tell you, that the youth are going to have and do have. They're, they're so awestruck with this new faith coming up and, and growth coming up. They don't know what to do, so they, they try to mesh it together. You can't mesh it together. It's not a hand holding, it's a fist bumping. Right? And if we're not willing to bump fists and call and know, know where the line is, is all that is, ain't nothing wrong with a fist bump. You get pretty close to somebody with a fist bump, right? You just ain't interlocking with them when it's a fist bump because there's a line there. You know, that this is, this is where we don't cross. Okay? So keep that in mind. And youth, you want to know why sometimes, and adults too, not just youth, but we want to know sometimes why we're so unhappy in every area of our life. It's because you're trying to play both sides of the fence in every area of your life. Pick one side. Pick it. Pick it and go with it. Instead of trying to pick and choose what you like and what you don't like. Not only does he keep a clear testimony, verses 8 through 10, he keeps a clear, clear conscience. There's something powerful when you got a clear conscience, guys. I mean, it really is. Just like last week, we said if we want the monsters in the closet to run away, we got to cut a light on. You know, light to get rid of a monster in a heartbeat, right? If you don't cut a light on, you can't have a clear conscience. I want to be a clean vessel for God. That's why I spend so much time in prayer. I really should all week, and I do all week. But, but I mean, that, that Sunday morning thing, I, don't mess with me once I go. Like that, that's, that's special prayer time right there. It's one reason why I'll be quick. If there's something still while I sit right there, before I get into something else, God remind you, I'll confess it to you guys. I want to be a clean vessel because God don't like sailing in dirty ships. Okay? Just, just right there. But that, that clear conscience. Look at what he says in, in 8 through 10. He looks at the guy and says, what have I done? I don't know about you, but I'd be afraid sometime to ask people I've been living with for too long, well, what have I done? I ask my boys what I've done. They're going to tell me. And they're going to remember it all. Well, Daddy, you snapped at me this morning because I didn't get my socks on and get in the truck fast enough. And I feel like you may have yelled just a little bit past that love language yelling and, and, and got a little excessive with it. They'll tell you. I promise you. Ask them. They ain't shy at all on it, right? But Bubba Reese tell me real quick, Dad, you was kind of harsh about me not catching the ball. Uh, I think it was supposed to be an encouraging moment, and you made it a, a beatdown moment. Uh, they'll call you accountable. Okay? Or your little princess that looks at you and says, I feel like you love other people and play with them more than my dolls and me. Well, maybe I'm not a doll player, but let's go play dolls now. <laughs> right? Your kids will tell you real quick. Your wife will tell you real fast. But he's got enough courage. And Your husbands will, too. No amens on that one. Bunch of chickens. <laughs> he's got enough strength, guys, though, to look. He said, what have I done? 
He's looking at me and asking, what have you found against me? And I think they couldn't find nothing. I think that's why it's not listed. It's almost, not, you know, again, this is a picture. David is not Jesus. We've said this a million times. But David sure is a good symbol, symbolic illustration of Jesus. It, it, you could almost look at this as getting close to Jesus' court case, where it looks back at him and says, what, what, what have you found wrong with me? What have I done wrong that you're holding me for? That, what, we found nothing wrong with you, but you're the king of the Jews, right? This is David. He even goes and he, and he uses those vague words again. Why can't I go and fight against the, look at what he says, against the enemies of my Lord, the king. Now, I'm still kind of holding out for David, okay? Again, we don't know all the specifics in this chapter. So this is one of those chapters where there is some speculation. Is he saying my new king that I can go and fight for? Is he saying Saul is still my king, so we get in the battlefield, I'm going to wipe the floor with you guys. Or maybe he's not even referring to any man at all because he doesn't trust any man at all. And he's just talking about his Lord and King, Yahweh. There's just three options. I, I don't get to tell you. I, I personally think by the way it all turns out that David knew his real enemy was the Philistines. So I would think the later of the two. But there's no guarantee. But he, he's never, he never says word for word what he's going to do. He's always vague every time he talks about this battle. So then maybe that's why I cling to a little more hope that he's just got this uh, secret service. Going on, right? This king affirms to David, David, you've done nothing wrong. But you gotta obey the Philistine commanders so that your reputation will stay good. Hmm. Look at this. Here, here, here's where the rubber begins to really hit home, guys. As Christians, we can keep a clear conscience because of our interactions. And look at what first Peter says. But in your heart set apart cry. First Peter chapter three, fifteen and sixteen. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak malicely against other good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Three things Peter tells us right there as believers, right? Instructions. First, set apart Christ as Lord. Number one. If that ain't happening, the rest can't happen. Second, be ready to give an answer for the hope you have. Well, that tells me this. You must be having hope that the world can see, because if not, they wouldn't be asking you. Right? So maybe you're thinking, well, I ain't never had to give an account for the hope I got. Maybe nobody asked you because you ain't living out no hope. And that is. Were we supposed to be the one offering the answer to everything? And yet we, we don't live in a way where they even want what we got or proclaim to have. And then thirdly, while you're doing all this, this, this is, this is where a lot of Christians, unchristians, whatever, get messed up. Do this with gentleness and respect. Do we do it with gentleness and respect? Do we? Now we can be harsh in here because this is technically supposed to be a, a group of believers in here. Okay? So we can get a little harsh with believers. You know, some of us need a, a good slap on the helmet, a pat on the butt, and, and a roughing up to get serious for the game, right? So that's okay. But what's it saying when we go outside to people who aren't already on the team? Do it with gentleness and respect. I, I laugh because every time I get to go on one of these, one of these trips through the, through the tire warehouses, we, we go to these, these islands and stuff. There's always this odd guy on every island and he's standing up there and he's got the billboard and he's got the megaphone and he's chanting this phrase right here. You've all heard it. 
You're going to hell if you don't repent now. Now you're thinking, Pastor, is what he's saying wrong? What he's saying isn't wrong. How he's saying it is probably really wrong. I almost want to walk over to him sometime and be like, hey, just out of curiosity, how many people come up to you and ask you about Jesus today? Zero. Maybe you should stop by starting to tell them they're all going to hell and start loving on them a little bit. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Nobody wants the message we got if you're just going to run around. Hey, brother, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're going. Everybody's going to hell. Nobody wants that message, right? Now, what if we say, man, I've got a real good marriage. Let me tell you how. Oh. Man, I struggled a little bit with raising my kids, but let me tell you what I've done that I've seen help. Oh, we get some real life application going then. Man, you know, I was in a real dark spot with anxiety and depression and just heartbreak. And let me tell you what helped me. You see the difference? People don't care what you know until they know how much you care. And that's one of the truest statements you can keep in mind. And sometimes believers need that. And look at what he says. Why do I want you to be gentle? And why do I want you to have respect? Because others then will be ashamed if they speak against you or the good behavior of Christ. Wow. By doing that, I'm going to make them ashamed of treating God in a negative way. Living out your faith. Right? Living it out. Here's the last part. Biggest lesson probably for this chapter. God's sovereignty is just simply amazing. Now we're only down to one verse, so it can't be a whole lot, right? Look, look, look at verse 11. Verse 11, he says this. So David and his men got up early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. That's it. That's all it says. But how much more do you have to read into there? Huh? God is calmly, right? This is, this is, this is, I think this might be in the book. I don't know. God is calmly and intentionally and powerfully and lovingly moving forward with his plan that he put into place before the very beginning. Is God ever rushed in any of David's story? We sometimes wish he was rushed. I guarantee David wished he was rushed. But God's just as calm as he can be rolling through this thing. He's intentional as he can be through the whole thing. He's lined it all up. He's powerfully, we, we, we got to say he's powerfully sovereign, right? He's about to use, if you didn't catch it, he's going to use the enemies to keep David safe. He's going to use the enemies to save him, right? Lovingly, how much mercy must he have on many of the people in this story? But still, don't forget this either, guys. He's moving forward his plan that he put in place. At the same time of God being calm, intentional, powerful, and loving, he's still got a little bit of discipline through this chapter too. Because I don't know if you catch it. I, I, I caught it a little bit because because God got to have to spank you sometime, right? A, a good daddy spanks. There's no doubt about it. A good daddy punishes. However you want to want to do that. I'm realizing the spanking ain't doing it. So I'm about to start taking video games and TVs and everything else away because that'll get attention. Right. I, I believe it will. We're going to find out. So. So anyway, you yeah, can tell him I said so. Uh, so. So it, it, anyway, here's what's happening, though. Can you imagine being a believer? And the enemy saying, oh, he's one of us. Now, we're talking about a good reputation, so there's that side. But do you think that's the way David interpreted it? I think David had that moment when he said that. Oh, well, I'm not, I'm not supposed to be one of y'all. What, what do you mean, I'm one of y'all? But he goes about. Or what about when he says, I found, I found nothing. Now, this again, you got to interpret whichever way you go. I, I see the word false, so I see living, all that good stuff, right? But but what if it was the other way? 
What are we saying? I ain't got nothing I disagree with David on. Church, I'm going to tell you, if the world tells you they got nothing they disagree with you on, that should be not a smack on the hand. That should be a smack in the mouth. Okay? So daddy pops him through this thing. And then daddy really pops him when he says, oh, you're passionate about war? Get your butt home and sit on the couch. Because that's what he does. He's not allowed. No matter what he thought his plan was, even if it was going to be for the good plan, no matter what, he says, no, you go. You're going home. It's not easy to trust God. It's not easy to to believe God's word on everything he says, right? God's word says this. I'll provide a way of escape. God will provide a way of escape. This is an impossible situation. No matter what David does when he gets to the end right here, it's going to be bad, right? Now, keep in mind this. Now, we know this. And if you weren't with us last week, you, you may not know this, but I want to share this with you. Last week, we were told, Saul is told flat out, when you guys fight this battle that we're talking about, remember, this, these chapters are weird. It's not in, not in chronological order. All right. When you fight this battle, you're going to lose. You're going to lose so bad. You're going to die. Your son's going to die and the army's going to die. Well, what if David did get down there and start fighting for the Israelites? Then God has already promised what? That they're going to lose and be defeated. So if David does make it down there and fights for the right side, David's going to get defeated. It's guaranteed. Oh. If he makes it down there and he fights for the Philistines undercover still and makes sure Saul dies, what's going to happen when he has to restore the kingdoms together in the tribes? Huh? Now, if you Judah, which is the tribe that, that, that um, Saul came from, and, and this guy killed him and made sure he died in a battle, are you going to be united with all the tribes for the kingdom? Now, I'm going to have a little hesitation. Ah. Oh. So in God's sovereignty, he's keeping David's reputation clean. He's keeping David safe. What, what about the reputation he had with the Philistine king? Well, if he flips out and goes against him in the battle, all the rest of his leaders and his friends, they're not going to trust him no more because he fell. He suckered for another enemy, right? So he even in doing this, this is amazing. Now, even little small things we've got to praise God for. Even in doing this, he keeps a good reputation with king. Right? Do we think about this kind of stuff? And God is doing this through the Philistine commanders. It's his enemy church that's rescuing him. Do we get it? See, sometimes we, we don't have enough praise for our enemy. I think we forget that sometimes. We don't have enough praise for our enemy. You think, what, why, why you want to praise your enemy? I thought we were supposed to stay far, far away. And I'll play a little, play a little devil's advocate slash spiritual advocate at the same time. And I'd be like, well, you know, Jesus didn't say it, but that phrase, keep the enemies closer. Jesus lived it. Oh, no, Jesus didn't live that. He had Judas at the table with him. He watched Judas all the time. He kept Judas real, real close. So don't you tell me. Please understand, you got to be a very strong person, though, to keep your enemies close. OK, it, it's a play. It's a play on. It. But it is a good illustration. Right. What does scripture tell us about this thing? That God will always make a way. How about 1 Corinthians 10, 13? No temptation that sees you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Read that. Think about that, guys. 
Some men are telling me all the time, oh, you don't know how strong the, 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 the power of that scene is on the movie. I'd be like, you know, they got a power button on the remote. It's amazing. Yeah, but like that's, that's just real hard. They got a cord. You unplug it. Or if you want to get real bold and intentional and living right, they got websites you can check out what's going to be on the movie before you watch the movie. You know you struggle with it. Check it out. Oh, Pastor, that involves work. Oh, God, heaven forbid. You got to work at being a good man. That's just that's sad. I'm sorry. I didn't realize that was the problem. Huh? How about it, guys? This hit me like a ton of bricks, and here's why. Let me put it to you this way. David couldn't afford, and this sounds weird, God couldn't afford. David couldn't afford and God couldn't afford the instincts of a warrior to take over in battle. Now, let that sink in and paint the picture, guys. Was David not the baddest man in the army? Right? What would have happened if he made it down there? It wouldn't have been, no, let's sneak out of here, guys. The instincts of the warrior in the heat of the moment would take over. I guarantee it. God couldn't afford it. We don't talk about why. And David couldn't afford it. We don't talk about why. Sometimes God will rescue from getting in a situation because he can't afford for your instincts to take over in the situation. Right? That's why nobody's ever going to hurt my little girl. Because I ain't afraid to go to jail. I can preach in jail too. You know what I'm saying? I can start Brookhaven too right there in the state penitentiary and not care at all. Oh, no, I tell them straight up. I tell them straight up. It's God's job to forgive you. I was just arranging the meeting for you to get there. So you, I, I, I don't care. Don't cross that line with me, all right? I'm just I'm throwing it out there. Any daddies with a daughter, you know, okay? You cross that line. I'm not afraid, all right? Why? Thankfully, the Lord provides a way out. And he does for David too, guys. And, and I think that, that, that part right there is just really neat. He never asked David to get in a situation where his instincts would have took over. He provides that way out before then. And I just wonder sometimes, I understand we all struggle with different sins. And it ain't the other stuff I was listening to. It's something else. You know, for women, you can call it shopping or whatever. But it was on sale, right? Who cares? You can save a lot of money if you didn't buy it. But but I tried it on and trying it on is free and, and it looked so good. And, 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 and I told the devil to get behind me, but he got back there and said it looked good, too. And, I, you know, right. I understand it. I understand it. There's all there's all that there. There's all that there. But I just wonder how often we put ourselves in a situation we didn't have to be in. Even when our enemies, church, our enemies. Provided the way out for him. God worked things out. We say God things work. God works things out for good. Be careful how you say that, okay? God worked things out for His good, right? You tell people going through some really bad times in life, oh, God's working it out for your good. No, He ain't working it out for your good. He's working it out for His good. Let's be intentional and clear about it. It's your good if you're a child of His, because His good is in your good. But it ain't for your good if you're not His, because you're not gonna like His good, okay? Don't, don't, don't try to get the, the, the prosperity thing going on. Everything's, everything's not going to be good if you're not a believer. Okay? You don't have the promises of a good ending, I hate to say. And, and maybe it's better to have said that that way than, than to have not said it at all. David and his men get excluded from battle. They're rejected from the faith. And God's working this whole thing out to save them. And, and I got to ask, man, because sometimes we get so, so bent out of shape and worried about what our enemies are doing to us. How often has God put enemies in your life to save you? 
What enemies are in your life right now that God is so sovereign, he's using them to promote you? We said Judas. Judas is a good example. Would Jesus have made it to the cross without the betrayal? No, not the way he was supposed to. So, so do you not think his enemies then promoted him? And thank God it promoted us. Your enemies sometimes, God can use them. Now, not that you're ever supposed to play with them and get into situations you get into, but I love how sovereign and awesome God is that he can use our enemies to rescue us. He can use our enemies to get us away from a situation that is bad but about to get worse. And we don't know it's about to get worse because we don't see the end in mind. You said it a minute, uh, well, many minutes ago now. God sees the big picture. We're so busy looking at this step and this step and this step. And we're thinking we can do these steps to get here. God starts with the end in mind and then works everything out to get there. Right? I'm so glad I work with a God and know a God and have a God who owns me and loves me and takes care of me. Who's got my end in mind and not necessarily the journey. Well, man, that's horrible because your journey is going to be bad, isn't it? Yeah, but I'd rather have the good ending. I watch a lot of movies and I and I've, I haven't really read many books. I've read a few books and watched a lot of movies. I like a good ending, right? I want the ending, man. And if God doesn't intervene and send David and his men back, think about this. And here's why I wanted to preach chapter 30 so hard so I can get to throw this out there. If David didn't send, I mean, if God didn't send David and his men back, when he did, guys, if y'all hadn't read, chapter 30, the Amalekites are killing their women, their children, and taking them captive. David's in an area he's not supposed to be in, playing with people he's not supposed to play with. And while he's gone, the Amalekites say, oh, the warriors are gone. We'll go in and take care of David and his 600 followers and their families. And they're taking care of business while David and his men are over here playing in a game they weren't supposed to be in. And part of God's sovereignty, it amazes me, is that God says, you know what? You got to get back to Ziglag. Zig, zig, whatever. You got to get back to the Z because if you don't get back to the Z, it's going to be too late for you to rescue your families. So he even says it. I love how the king says it. Even in the king's words, the king says, you get up as soon as it's light and start traveling. They don't mess around. Well, you guys get up slow when you're ready, going back, have a lunch, take brunch, take a nap, and then go. No, he said, as soon as the light comes up so that you can see the travel, you get your butt going. And we'll go find out chapter 30 why they get their butt going, because they really get their butts going. Right? But but this is all part of God's plan. Romans 8, 28. And, and we who know that in all things God works, the good of those who love him, let's finish the whole thing, who have been called according to his purpose. How often... Has the Lord secretly been working for you and turning the heart of someone else against you? Wow, that sounds weird to say, doesn't it? Sometimes we needed the push in the opposite direction, though, right? Sometimes we needed somebody to tell us that we can't. You know, sometimes the world can promote us in good ways, guys. I'll never forget years ago when I'd I'd preached my first tent revival with multiple pastors, really young at the time, you know? And, and, and being up there and, and thinking I'd done a really good job and being kind of, you know, proud of myself, not not just for what I've done, but just just get letting God use me. It's just a really good moment. Some of you may know what I'm talking about when you let God use you and, and hearing an old. Uh, I want to say wiser, but not he's not wiser. Uh, and, an older man who thought he knew all the stuff because he'd been in the ministry for so long. Just bad mouth me and bad mouth me 
and bad mouth it. And a lost person, a lost person now who went to him and said these words, these words will always be in my head forever. At least he is who he says he is. And it was a lost person to get. Because I'm going to tell you, man, when you when you preach your heart out and, and you do things for God that way and, and you're feeling good and, and a believer tears you down, that's tough. But then a lost person to come on in and say, yeah, but he he's the real deal. He is what he says he is. That was it. That was the, the push I needed. Because then I used both. When I needed the encouragement, I remembered those words. And when I needed the negative push, because the negative will push you. You know, if you're wired that way. Now, some people aren't wired that way. But for me, all I need is somebody to tell me I can't do something. We're going to figure out a way to get it done. Okay? You, you tell me we can't, we're going to figure it out one way or the other. If we got to break everything down and break every part of us, we're going to figure it out. Right? Maybe we need that. Maybe we need that negative push of you can't to promote us to you can't. Right. Sometimes God has put enemies in place to say and do things to you that will promote you to where he's wanting you to get all along because it's his plan, not yours. Now you think, well, it ain't the way I'd have chosen. It don't have to be the way you chose it. It's God's plan, not yours. Right. And that's where we need believers to be, God, because God's got this big picture in mind and he's able to use all this for his glory. It reminds me of the of the lady. One time she was praying because times had gotten hard and she didn't have nothing to eat. No bread in the house or, or nothing else. And, and she prays and she prays and she prays. And uh, one of the townspeople who had been watching her for years, unbeliever, he's watching her pray because, you know, the, the, through the window he can see her. And he hears her prayer. And she's praying, Lord, please just bring some food. Please just bring some food for my family. And the guy sees it and he gets a smile on his face. He runs down to the supermarket as fast as he can and buys the bread, sits it on the front door, knocks on the door, runs away and hides in the bushes. This lady opens the door. She's overwhelmed. She instantly starts praising God. Oh, God, thank you so much for bringing the bread for my family. Thank you for taking care of stuff. This guy comes running out the bushes laughing, pointing at her. Your God didn't do nothing. I went and bought that bread. I put the bread at your step and I knocked on the door and then I hid in the bushes because I wanted to see the outcome. And she's still praising Jesus and just going crazy. He says, what are you doing? Are you not listening to what I'm saying? And she looks at him and says, oh, I prayed to God, baby, and I knew God would answer me. I just never knew he'd let the devil be the one to bring it to me. This this last verse in 29, guys, this last verse in 29, it sets up the whole end of sin. And it sets up the destination of two men that we've been looking at through this whole series. Because at the end right here, when, when, when they go off to the battle and David goes back home, two things happen. Chapter 30, David wipes the floor with the Amalekites. Go ahead and spoiler alert, right? He gets to do his battle. The instincts of the warrior do finally take over. Okay? And that's what needed to happen so the Amalekites were totally gone so that David then can be reigned and promoted up to his kingship. Because something else happens at that exact same time when that's going on. And that is a battle that we just now talked about. That is a battle that we already knew the outcome of because God promised it. And that is a battle where Saul, his sons, and all of Saul's loyal warriors are gone and taken out by the enemy, not by David. So that David's reputation is perfectly held where it's supposed to be. And David can then be elevated to the position he's supposed to be. Slow down and let God work things out. Be okay 
with God using your enemies even when you don't understand it. Because the whole time he's doing it, he's working it out for his plan. Because God is calmly, intelligently, lovingly working things out for his plan. I love knowing that God's got that sovereignty, guys. I love knowing that God can just take all this and, and just keep it all lined up the way it's supposed to be. And maybe, maybe, maybe some of us are right here this morning and we feel like we're stuck in the middle. Middle of two worlds and we don't know which way to go. Maybe we're waiting on the, what's the phrase, waiting on the shoe to drop. Because we, we, we've been told one thing and, and that hadn't happened yet. So, so we've just been waiting and we've been waiting and we've been waiting. I just want to encourage you to keep waiting. Keep trusting God. Take, take time to pray. Take time to read your Bible. Take time to be around other people. Take time to worship. Don't, don't make other people have to decide when you do the things you're supposed to do. You decide. You do them. Because you're passionate about it. Because you realize how awesome God is and what all God can do and has done and will do and continues to do even to the end of times when we don't even understand it. David still don't understand what's going on right now. But I wonder if some, some light went off when he got to the, to the village and those Malachites had taken those women and those children. And he was like, oh, that's why you sent me back. Well, praise you for that, Jesus. I'm about to illustrate my faithfulness. Right? I don't know where we're at, but I know God and his sovereignty can work, work it all out, even when we don't understand it. I just think that's something real, real special and real cool. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. God, we thank you for your word. I thank you for every person in this room this morning, Lord God. God, for the words and the pictures that are resonating in their brain and their mind right now as we sit, Lord God. Lord, I pray that you do the justice for the things that were spoken. God, I pray if I said it wrong, you correct it while it's in the heart. God, if I forgot something, you add to it. Lord, if something needs to be taken away, then Lord God, I pray that you do it. Because God, we're here for one thing, and that's to glorify you. Lord, to tell your stories and how you move in your people, Lord God, to accomplish your plan. God, keep us courageous. God, keep us faithful, bold. Help us, Lord God, to acknowledge the fact that you have picked us up to soar like eagles, Lord God, and to quit playing around like chickens on this earth. Keep us standing up for our beliefs, Lord God, despite when the world comes against us. Transform our minds to glorify you. In your great name we pray. Amen.